Hi, I'm Reverend Darcy, the minister of All Souls Universalist Church. Today, on this first Sunday in Lent, I will be preaching on sin and how it doesn't separate us from God or from the love of God, but rather how it blinds us from seeing how much God loves us, our potential for goodness, and from an everlasting intimacy or oneness with God. Want to participate in the service where you are? Download the service book at the link found in the description. Are you longing for love and acceptance? We are All Souls Universalist Church, a network of home-based worshiping communities proclaiming Jesus' gospel of universal love and reconciliation for all souls. You are a beloved child of God. No matter who you are, what you look like, who you love, what you believe, where you are from, or how you identify or express yourself. Join us as we journey together following the light of Christ. One God, you have created us from the dust of the earth, and to the earth's dust we shall return. Lead us through this wilderness, O Spirit, so that we may hear your voice and become the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In his name we pray. Amen. There are many different ways to define and talk about sin. When I was growing up in the Church of Christ, I was told that sin is anything that separates us from God. And this is probably the most common way fundamentalist evangelical Protestants and Roman Catholic Christians talk about sin. During my nine years as an Episcopalian, on the other hand, I rarely heard sermons or homilies on sin, and the most common discussion of sin was found in the general confessions in the Book of Common Prayer. I think that this way of dancing around the issue is probably the way that most progressive or liberal churches tend to talk about sin. These two ways of talking about sin represent both sides of the continuum. You either love talking about sin and using it to spiritually abuse people into thinking God hates the way that they live or feel or understand themselves, or you're so afraid of being a spiritual abuser that you pretend sin isn't a thing and don't really dig too deeply beyond the surface of what sin is. I will say, however, that one of the best perspectives on sin I've ever heard was from the pulpit of the last Episcopal church I attended, and I think that the new curate who preached it was both very insightful and very brave. She said, we cannot ignore sin or pretend sin doesn't exist, because if we forget about our sin, then the whole message of the cross is lessened and loses the depth of beauty and power that it has when we fully understand and acknowledge our sin. And this perspective is, I believe, the happy medium between these two extremes. In our first lesson today from Genesis, we read about the fall of humankind from God's grace. 
regardless of whether or not you read this story as a literal account of how we came to suffer from sin, or see it as a metaphor for the experience each person has every time they sin, the message is still clear. Human beings suffer from a sin problem. At the core of this sin problem is the letter I. Genesis teaches us that Adam and Eve fell prone to sin because they did what they wanted, not what God had told them was best for them. They accepted their own wisdom and rejected God's wisdom. Ironically, human beings fell into sin because they desired God's wisdom for themselves rather than trusting in it. The wrongness of their behavior wasn't their lack of obedience to God, but rather because they stopped trusting in what God had told them. And the result was a loss of fellowship with God, of not having intimacy with God in the way that they had previously experienced it. And as a result, as is usually the case when we sin, they weren't the only ones to suffer the consequence of their sin. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 51 that we are born in sin, conceived in sin. And in spite of what John Calvin would have us believe, this does not mean that we are totally depraved people. Instead, this means that we are born with the desire to do our own thing and to hell with the consequences. Sin, rather than being a characteristic of our human nature, is actually a result of our distrust and lack of intimacy with God. We aren't sinners or sinful creatures, but rather creatures suffering from the control of sin. Genesis tells us that immediately upon eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve knew of their nakedness and were ashamed. Now, I don't read this to mean that they saw that they didn't have clothes on. Rather, I read naked in the southern way of naked, which any southerner will tell you means someone is up to no good. What Adam and Eve saw when they ate of the forbidden fruit was their vulnerability, their nakedness. They saw themselves for what they were, naked, or in other words, insignificant, petty, and helpless in comparison with the splendor of creation and the omnipotent grandeur of God, and therefore were unworthy of being loved or even noticed by God. Before, they only understood themselves the way God saw them, divinely made creations possessing the love and intimacy of their creator. This first sin did not change who God saw them to be. They never stopped being divinely made creations possessing the love and intimacy of their creator. Instead, because they traded God's omniscient perspective of who they are, for a human's myopic perspective, they hid from God in fear that God would reject them. And this, beloved, is what sin does to us. It forces us to see ourselves outside the love of God, to see ourselves through a world-colored glasses instead of God-colored glasses. This doesn't mean that God has a distorted view of us, but rather that when God sees us, God sees the whole of us, our goodness, our badness or nakedness, and our potential. 
Even though we are held captive by sin, sin doesn't separate us from God. Indeed, the traditional definition of sin, that, anything, that, is, that sin is anything that separates us from God, is totally out of sync with Scripture, as Paul makes very clear in the 8th chapter of Romans. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, neither heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that comes to us in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Rather, sin separates us from the godliness that is ours as children of God, made in God's image. Sin keeps us from being the person we want to be, the person God made us to be. Instead of sin being our badness, it is really our jailer who holds us back from liberty by reminding us of that myopic view of our human frailty. Yet Paul also makes very clear in this message from Romans that we are not bound to sin forever. Sin's everlasting control over us is an illusion. Christ Jesus liberates us from the power of sin, the power that, holds, that sin holds over us, and will continue to do so until all have been finally restored to oneness with God. When the psalmist said in Psalm 51 that we are born and conceived in sin, they didn't stop there. The psalmist continues with, yet you want truth, you, God, want truth to live in my innermost being. Teach me your wisdom. We are in no way sinners who God hates and despises. And if anybody tells you that, then they're telling you a false teaching. Because God desires that we see ourselves and love ourselves the way God sees us. And God loves us, and God sees our potential, and God wants us to have the truth inside of us. But seeing ourselves the way God does is impossible while we are held captive by sin. But thanks be to God, there is hope for all of us yet. And our second lesson, our second lesson from Romans, Paul brings us the hope of our liberation, saying, If death began its reign through one person because of an offense, so much more will those who receive the overflowing grace and the gift of justice live and reign through the one Jesus Christ. If sin is death to the, godly, to the godliness in us, then the grace of Jesus is rebirth into godliness. Jesus frees us from sin by presenting us with a way to regain what was lost. Jesus, who we believe is the manifestation of God in human form, is, as the Gospel of John puts it, the way, the truth, and the light, who leads us away from the darkness of sin so that we can see ourselves as God does. Jesus is a representation of how God sees us, a beloved child. The way Jesus lived and taught and loved all people is the way of liberation. And if we join him on it, imitating his life and teachings and love for one another, his spirit dwells in our hearts and his way becomes our way, our rule of life. And this way of liberation is our sanctification. It is the way we regain the godliness within ourselves. <clears throat> But beloved, 
<clears throat> this way of liberation comes with a price. Just as Adam and Eve paid the price of lost intimacy with God by trusting in their own wisdom and following their own way, so we regain intimacy, oneness with God by paying the price of death to self. The gospel is clear. The only way of ending sin's reign over our lives is by trusting in God and following God's way, rather than trusting in our own judgment and following our own way. Jesus' crucifixion and death was the consequence of him dying to himself and trusting in God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded with God to take the cup of death from him. In this statement, he was saying, please let my way be the right way. So often we make the same plea to God. Please let this person be the one. Please let this decision be the right one. We try to bargain with God when we know that the right decision is not the one we must take because sin is desperate to keep control over our lives. Rarely do we follow up that plea with these words of Christ after he made that plea. But not my will, but yours be done. Because God isn't interested and us blindly accepting God's will, but rather acknowledging that it's not what we want, but also knowing that we trust God enough to accede to God God wants for us, to let God lead the way, to show us the way to go. And with that statement, Jesus saved us all, because in that moment, sin lost its power over him, and ultimately over us forever. Because what he was saying was, I know that this way you were leading me is the right way, and I really don't want to do what you're asking, but I will do it because it is your way and because I trust you and love you and want to be one with you. And this, beloved, is Christ's way of liberation, being symbolically crucified with Christ Jesus by surrendering body and soul to God in faith and hope and love. And this is what we are called as Christ's disciples to do every moment of every day. If the cry of our hearts is to dwell with God forever, then we must surrender ourselves wholly to God. So many people ask me this question, if there really is a God and God really loves us and wants to save us, then why doesn't God just do it? And the answer is, God does. God never stops calling to us and never will stop calling to us until all souls are restored to intimacy with God and hell is destroyed forever. But the root of this question is sin. Why do I have to change? Why do I have to trust? God could just do it for us. But then God would be an abuser because God would be forcing us into surrendering our lives. But liberation in Christ is about entering into an intimate relationship with God. And God wants you to be a willing partner in this relationship. God's invitation to intimacy will never go away, neither in this life or in the next, because even death 
cannot separate you from God's love. But the relationship will not begin until you make the choice to trust wholeheartedly in God. My prayer for you now and always is that you will surrender your heart to God and be drawn forever into the loving embrace of the one who loves you more than you could ask or imagine. If you are ready to surrender your life to God, please join your heart with mine as I lift this prayer to our God. Loving God, thank you for never giving up on me even when I reject you and run from you. I repent of all the ways I have run from you and your love by hurting myself and by hurting other people. And I surrender my whole self to you. Now, as your child, I place all of my trust and my hope in you. Through Christ my Savior. Amen. Beloved, may you feel the love of God that is always with you. If we can pray for you in any way, let us know at www.allsoulsuniversalist.org forward slash pray for me. During this season of Lent, I am inviting you to a time of self-reflection, repentance, self-denial, and study of God's Word. I invite you to visit our website at www.allsoulsuniversalist.org forward slash Lent to find out how you can join us as we observe Lent together by fasting from something that distracts us from God and by studying the Gospel of Mark so that in this wilderness time, God may speak to you and show you the way to liberation and free you from the power of sin and death forever. Know that I will be praying for you as I do every day, and I am here for you to help you along the way toward liberation. <music>